Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Good to be with everybody this morning. Turning your Bibles to John chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today. If you uh, don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out at the um, little info desk out there that, it, you know, if you, it, it's yours to keep. So grab a Bible. It's yours. Take it home with you if you don't have one. Or uh, there's always the Bible app now. So you can flip in your phone to uh, John 11 is where we're going to be. We are taking the next month or so. We actually kind of started this last week, but we're taking the next month or so, and we're giving each of our leaders who teach at the church, so myself, Jake, Andoni, Bria, I think Jim might be in there as well, um, we're giving them an opportunity to talk about whatever they want to talk about on a Sunday morning. We've, we're often in series, and we're teaching through uh, specific books of the Bible, or there's a theme or something that we're addressing, uh, but it's kind of like, whatever you want to talk about, just bring it, and the reason for that is that we're in a new space. And being in a new space, uh, one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to remember where, we co- where we've come from. We wanted to remember our vision, and uh, we wanted to put a focus on that and put a focus on what, what are the things that have made Saints Hill Saints Hill as we occupy this new space. So um, this is my week to talk about whatever I want to talk about. So are you, are you guys ready for this? Uh, we're going to talk about relationships and sexuality again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're like, mm, we've done that before. Uh, <laughs> that would have been that would have been funny. Um, I, I had a whole thing written up about leadership and the way that the church works and how you know what's what, what the difference between a corporate uh, kind of organizational structure of a church is versus a family structure of a church and and why family is our metaphor for doing church. I had it all written up and then halfway through this last week, I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and as I was making my way back to the bed, I had this phrase come to mind. And it just stopped me. And here was the phrase, how to cry like Jesus. How to cry like Jesus. And it caught my attention because this is really where I've been in the season that I've been in. As many of you guys know, I I recently lost my grandfather. I was very close to him. And uh, we've been in this process of of, of selling his home and just this, this home that I spent so much time in, so many memories attached to, and there's this intense feeling of loss. And so I've been learning how to cry like Jesus in this season. And I believe that God is developing in us, Saints Hill, an ability to do something that I really haven't seen much of, and it's this. It's the ability to acknowledge pain and suffering in this world and yet walk in faith and trust. Typically what happens is you have either or. You have, it's all faith and trust. Nothing bad ever happens. It's a little bit of this culture. We're going to address that today. Or you have, uh, you know, I don't even know if I can trust God anymore because look at all of the pain and suffering in this world. And that becomes the focus. And so my desire for myself, my desire for us this morning is to see human suffering the way that Jesus saw it so that I can respond to human suffering the way that Jesus responded to it. So look down at your Bibles, John chapter 11. You might have guessed that we were going here. This is when Lazarus, his best friend, dies. And he goes 
to his funeral, and he ruins it. Okay. <laughs> Verse 17. We're going to read quite a bit here, so, so lock in. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She gets theological. Verse 24, Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. <laughs> Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying? Jesus once more was deeply moved and came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away that stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. There is a time to die, the scriptures say. But for Jesus, sometimes it's not the right time to die. That's why he prays for resurrection. That's why he does this. Now, what we see in this passage is that Jesus weeps and he raises the dead. How do you square that in your mind? He weeps and he raises the dead. Did he not know that he was going to be able to raise the dead? Look, this is our paradigm for suffering. Now, Likely, this isn't actually your paradigm for suffering. <laughs> this is our theological paradigm for suffering, but maybe not your personal paradigm for suffering. And that is likely because you have one of two possible problems. Here are the two possible problems. Either we don't cry. We stuff it. 
And we go, you know, Christians are supposed to be more than conquerors. Look at the New Testament. The soaring language, it talks about our identity. What are we doing crying? What am I crying for? I know, that I know, I know I'm going to be with the Lord forever. Why am I crying? And yet, when we think this way, we ignore that Jesus was a man who was acquainted with sorrow. Or the other problem that we may have with this passage is that we cry too much. We stay stuck on the focus of pain. We allow our circumstances to dictate the amount of faith that we have for a given issue. And eventually, the diagnosis becomes the identity. But the life of Jesus says, you should weep, Christians. You should weep. There are things that you should cry about. But don't allow your feelings to run your life. Don't allow your feelings to dictate your faith. In fact, you should ask for heaven. You should ask for resurrection. So, so here's a question. What sort, I mean, is that your paradigm? It's not mine. What sort of vision of God did Jesus have? Of the, uh, uh, what sort of vision of the world did Jesus have that he was able to both weep and resurrect? How was he able to do this? See, I want that vision. I want Jesus' vision. That's what I really want. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at three different psalms uh, that I've, I've had kind of in my mind through this past season of, of uh, sorrow for myself. Um, and, and I want, I, I really think that these three different psalms are going to give us the vision of God and the vision of suffering that Jesus had, okay? So the, the first psalm is this, Psalm 23. Look up here. We're going to read this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. <clears throat> he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's the first lesson of having Jesus' vision of the world, of God, of suffering. You need to expect to cry. Christians, you need to expect that you're going to cry. Do you, do you see it in this passage? See, if you stay with him, you're gonna walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's the shepherd, and he's leading you through the valley of the shadow of death. How could he do that? And what this does is this confronts one of uh, many Christians' core beliefs, which many people think that bad happens to them, that pain comes because of something they did or something they didn't do. You weren't generous. You didn't read your Bible. That's why the pain is here. That's why the weeping has come to your life. But Psalm 23 doesn't, it tells us this is not the case. In fact, Psalm 23 says, the shepherd doesn't keep you from going through the valley of the shadow of death. It's just that the shepherd will be with you in the valley of the shadow of death. And to be clear, the shepherd doesn't cause the valley of the shadow of death, but you need to see something that when you're close to Jesus, you may weep even more. You may have more tears than you had before. Why is that? How could that be? Because you got a heart of flesh. Your heart of stone that didn't care about the world, didn't care about things, medicated yourself on whatever it was and became hard to the vicissitudes of life, you got rid of it and you got his heart. And so you begin to feel more. You begin to weep more. You begin to care more about the people around you. You begin to not hold yourself back from love in an, in an attempt to protect yourself from pain. No, you give yourself freely. And so you're going to cry more. 
Jesus had the perfect heart of flesh, did he not? And he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. You know, in, our, in a culture like ours, and, and I know there's many of you who are new, and, you're, and, and so you don't really kind of quite grasp maybe what the culture of St. Hill is, but for those of you who, who do know, in a culture like ours, there's a potential problem with this. Some of you are even mad at me that I'm even preaching about this right now. See, typically, we have a purely victorious mindset because Jesus triumphed over his enemies on the cross. The identity of the New Testament is all about being more than a conqueror. What am I doing talking about crying up here? But there's a side effect to believing that. There's a side effect to thinking that way. See, you could begin, if you, if you think that way, if that's the way that you go through life, then you could begin to stuff all of your emotions and your pain down, thinking that what God wants from you is to be a perfect feeler. To somebody who's always full of faith, never without joy, at peace in every situation. And what could happen is that you begin to lie to yourself. And you begin to lie to God. No, I really have faith for this. No, yeah, 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 I really, no, I'm gonna get there. I have faith and I really trust and I am really a person of joy and I'm more than a conqueror. What am I doing? I don't need to be crying. And the lie wears you out. It exhausts you because you're trying to live in faith and joy and peace out of enthusiasm despite your circumstances when those very things, the faith, the joy, the hope, the peace, were intended to be fruit of your dependence on God. Barbie right here, I'm just gonna highlight you for a moment. Many of you guys know who Barbie is. She's an incredible person, and she's the mother of George Fox right here in the house. So <laughs> it resonates. Did you hear that? Um, Barbie had a word one time. She, she had this image of, of somebody riding down the, uh, with, with, they, they had a life without God and they were riding down the street on a bicycle that had no tires on it, just rims. And they felt every bump and every groove in the concrete. But they gave their life to the Lord. And it didn't change the road that they traveled on, but it gave them tires. And so every bump and every groove and every jolt was softened. Why? because you begin to depend on him and he begins to bring about fruit in your life that's otherworldly fruit. It doesn't make sense in this world. It doesn't, it, you can't hype yourself into it. You can't, there's no amount of enthusiasm that can really give you true peace, true joy. It comes from dependence. See, if you don't expect tears in this life, you may never reach for him convinced you got this. If you don't expect to cry, you will always be crying for two reasons. <laughs> the first reason is you'll be crying because of the circumstance, the pain, the loss, the issue. But you will also be crying because you're crying. Why am I crying? I'm a Christian. Did I do something wrong? Is there a demon? There's probably a demon. <laughs> this sort of questioning leads you to a place of self-focus rather than God-focus. And you attempt to do whatever you can to avoid the pain rather than take the pain to him. And you'll end up missing out on joy. Here's why. The next psalm says this, Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. What is this? 
What is this passage? Well, this is a poetic metaphor before you, and what it's saying is that your tears are like seed. Isn't that what it's saying? Your tears are like seed, and when you go out and you sow your tears, you're going to come back reaping songs of joy. (laughs) How can that be? What this is saying is that you need to treat your tears like a farmer treats seed. So you can't dump it all in one place and expect that you're going to have a harvest. You also can't stuff it in the barn and forget about it. No, you must plant your tears. What does that mean? I think it means a couple things. I think the first thing that it means is that you need to live in season. You need to live in season. Farmers are entirely dependent on seasons. There are some seasons that are dormant. Nothing's happening. It's full of rest or repairing equipment or whatever else. And then there are other seasons that are full of planting and sowing. And what is being said here is that life is full of seasons. And there's a season that's all good. It's all good. There's nothing too terrible going on. I got my friends. Things are going well. Haven't experienced a ton of loss or pain. But there are other seasons, and they're seasons of tears. And you must recognize which one you're in. Here's what I've been learning recently. Jesus isn't trying to move me to another season if I haven't learned the lesson of the season that I'm currently in. He's a shepherd. And not only is he a shepherd, he's a father. He's a father shepherd. So he is interested in me living with him, not me living some kind of exemplary life. He's interested in me living with him. And every season carries with it a grace to go places where in other seasons it would be disobedience. Did you catch that? Every season you, ha- you walk through with the Lord, when you're really next to the shepherd, it carries with it in that season grace to go places that in other seasons it would be disobedient for you to go those places. But sometimes we have this, this wooden image of God in our minds of what he's really like. And he's static and he's easily offended. And so we don't go there. We actually skip the lessons of the seasons, the places that we should be going. Or we don't open all of ourselves up to him because we think it's gonna be offensive somehow or, or he, he's not a big enough God to really handle all of you. When we really should know This is the season to address some personal things. This is the season to plant my tears. Don't waste the pain. Use the season that you're in. See, we also learn from this psalm that we need to plant our crying. You know, many people see no no purpose in crying. They see no reason to cry or their crying has become so frequent that they just waste the pain. It doesn't produce anything new in them. They're always crying. But this passage says, this passage says what? What does it say? Again, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. See, what happens to people who plant their tears is they come back with joy. Their tears actually produced something. How? How? There are two kinds of joy. There's the kind of joy that comes from avoiding your tears medicating on the tiny luxuries of life, distracting yourself with many distractions. And that kind of joy, as many of you have found, is the joy that doesn't last. But there is a kind of crying that will produce real joy. See, what pain does is it, it sears us. 
It flays our hearts open, and it forces us to realize that we must stop looking for meaning and significance in things that can't give us true meaning and significance. And we must start living with eternity in mind. This process that I just described is called getting disillusioned. Think about that word, disillusioned. See, what is it? You had a picture of the way that life works. You had a picture of the way that things should be, but it was an illusion, and you just shook it because of the pain. You just realized, no, that isn't actually what life is going to be, and that's actually not where life is really found, and it was an illusion. Disillusionment is so valuable because it lets you tick one more box off on your list of things you're trying to find fulfillment in that could never deliver. Oh, not there. Here's what I mean. My, um, with, with my grandfather uh, passing, he's, I, I got some things. I got some stuff. <laughs> I, I got pictures. I got an ashtray. I got a, a painting. I got a gold bracelet. And all of these things mean a lot to me. But I have once again sadly realized that there is no way for me to really reach the real person my real grandfather through those things. And any closeness I feel to, to him through those things pales in comparison to a real conversation with him on his patio. See, what I really long for is the conversation we're gonna have in the new heavens and new earth. That's what I really want. It's the eternal. And so I've been disillusioned by the little tiny luxuries, the little things, the mementos. And this, this, that's where the sheaves of joy come from. Because what happens is you look at your crying and you look at the pain and you really feel it and you stop trying to avoid it and you start looking for him, looking for his presence, searching for the gospel, putting it deep down in your heart, getting that eternal vision and it makes you joyful because you've stopped the charade. You've stopped the game of trying to get satisfied on stones that were disguised as bread. You've got the real bread of life deep in here. Those who sow in tears will reap songs of joy. Lastly, Psalm 39. Last Psalm, Psalm 39. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you like a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me, that I may enjoy life again. Depart, before I depart, and am no more. That's a disturbing psalm, is it not? <laughs> what is that doing in my Bible? This psalm ends in absolute theological incorrectness. He said, do you see what David is saying here? David is saying, I want you to stop looking at me so that I can just enjoy a little bit more of my life before I die. You've become such a torment to me, Lord, that I need you out of my life so I can just get some peace and quiet before I die. Now, in my pastoral opinion, here's what he should have prayed. <laughs> and actually, here's what he has prayed before. As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. See, that would have been much better. All of us, we, oh, you're like, oh, I'm glad that's also in there. <laughs> that would have been much better. It's very disturbing. Look, can we go back to the, the other slide? Look away from me that I might get some peace before I die. 
What is this doing in the Bible? Here's what Tim Keller points out. Uh, This is so brilliant. He says, the prayer, look away from me, makes no more sense than Peter's depart from me. Yet God knows how to treat this plea. The very presence of such prayers in scripture is a witness to his understanding. God knows how we speak when we're desperate. God knows how we speak when we're desperate. Do you see what this means? You can pray what you shouldn't. You can pray what you shouldn't. He understands when our feelings so overwhelm us that our theology gets bad, it's okay to speak to him from the heart. It's okay to tell him what we really think. So you have to understand that God knew all of the places that our minds would go because of the evil around us since Genesis chapter three. Because of the pain and the suffering, he put an example of it in the scriptures. It's safe to pray your tears. It's safe to pray how you really feel. You know, in a victorious culture like ours, you could get the feeling that your deepest anger, your your deepest fear, your deepest pain, where does it belong? It belongs suppressed. Stuff it down. But this passage says differently. Your tears don't belong stuffed down. They don't belong in some kind of neat packaged prayer. They don't belong managed by you. No, they belong in utter abandon to him. No filter, just honesty. This is what I mean by living in season. You can live in the season you're in with God. He can handle it. Think about what David has discovered about God after this request, look away from me. Here's what he discovered. Where can I go from your spirit? I tried it. (laughs) Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths and sheol in hell, you are there. David has learned a great lesson, and it's this. Even if you try to show God and the people around you that you're living in heaven, even while you feel like hell inside, what you will find is that even Jesus will meet you in the hell of your life. In this season that I'm in, I I just feel the sense to be free, uh, free to be me where I'm at. This is where I'm honestly at. And it isn't that God doesn't want to move me to greater trust or to greater dependence or to a, a place of more impact in faith, It isn't that the kingdom doesn't run along the lines of of trust and belief. It isn't that the miraculous isn't released by us believing God, that he actually intends, when he said, on earth as it is in heaven, he really meant it. But it's that before I'm anything else, I get the privilege of being a son, and I get the freedom with him to be messy. And right there, when I get that, when you understand that right there, when I, when I pray my crying like this, a little crack in my doubt opens up. A little crack in my depression opens up. And a little light begins to seep in. And this light gets brighter and brighter the more that I look at it. And it touches places that I didn't know need to be touched. It addresses things that I didn't know needed to be addressed. And I find myself, because of the shepherd, walking through the valley, not setting up my camp and staying in the valley. I walk through the valley because of this. I don't set up camp and stay there because I've let him in all the way. 
because I've really prayed my crying without any sort of theological filter. And he shows up even there and he illuminates the fears and the lies that I've been living. And it's an exposure that's warm and not isolating. Friends, this is the truth. The more honest you get with him, the more relationship you have with him. The more honest you get with him, the more relationship you have with him. And this is what Jesus understood. Remember, we have the the only God out of all of the world religions. We have the only God who prayed the terrifying prayer, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what what it is to be confused and in pain. To look at heaven and and feel nothing. (laughs) To pray and not hear anything. To feel as though God is absent. He knows. See, when you see Jesus cry out, you will still cry in this life, but you will never cry alone. Your tears will change. You can no longer feel, I must have done something bad, that's why I'm going through this pain, or God must not care, that's why I'm going through this pain. No. You look upon him crying on the cross and you will see he was punished for our sins. He was abandoned so that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God with us. And so you won't stay crying when you see him cry. You will begin to realize what was done for you. You will begin to see he cried so that you could live in resurrection power so that you could have the very desire of your heart, eternity. And in the meantime, Jesus gives us, before eternity, he gives us this taste of it. He gives us what anyone who is in pain knows they need most. He gives us his body, his very presence in us through communion. So that's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna receive the body and the blood of Christ. Would you stand to your feet? And if I could get one of those little deals. Thanks, buddy. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Nobody got these, huh? Hopefully we're gonna change the way that we do communion in the future, but this is how we're doing it right now. One of these days we'll get to get back to real the real stuff. I suppose it doesn't matter, does it, huh? Wow, this this is a new brand. You might want to get started on <laughs> you might want to get started on getting oh no, this is really okay. The blood was spilled. <laughs> My goodness. Okay. Is anybody encouraged? Isn't that freeing? The God who cries. How profound. Go ahead and and take the the wafer and, and put it in front of you. Hold it before you in your life, before your soul, your spirit. And go ahead and repeat after me, God, thank you for your body, broken for us, that we might be made whole. Go ahead and receive. Okay. Gosh. If you can... 
All things are possible. <laughs> That's bad. Oh, you know this is celebration, don't you? There is a new, we get to cry like we talked about because of his blood spilled for us. Resurrection. So put it in front of you and say, Jesus, thank you for your blood that was spilled for me so that I could be righteous. Fully approved of. Son or daughter in your home. Go ahead and receive. All right, all right. If you got to finish that later when you can get home and get a, some, pl- some pliers, <laughs> just a drop is enough, Lord, you know. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, we want to transition to a time of prayer. We want to pray. If you're on the prayer team, would you make your way over? Our prayer team's just going to be kind of out on this patio and in front of the garage door there. You know, Jesus' life was intercession, His life was intercession. See, it is both, you should pray your tears, you should plant your tears, you should expect to cry, but it is also pray for the impossible. It is also participate in heaven now, not just later. To cry like Jesus is to live a life that looks like his prayer on earth as it is in heaven. So we're gonna pray. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.